The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, I lived in New York City and Manhattan all my life, okay? So, you know, my views are a little bit different than if I lived in Iowa, perhaps. I am pro-choice in every respect and as far as it goes. I am pro-life. Everybody knows I'm pro-life. But you still, I just believe in choice. There has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah. I've been told by some people that was a older line answer. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who said he called Rosie O'Donnell a pig and a degenerate because you have to defend yourself really strongly against bullies. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So I was on CNN's Reliable Sources over the weekend talking about whether Trump is the beneficiary of false equivalents. Does the media inflate issues and scandals about Hillary Clinton and grade Trump on a curve? To try to seem fair and make the race closer? Well, duh, yes. That's what the press does. Can you say Corey Lewandowski? But it's funny because while CNN is sort of the epitome of that tendency, I think Brian Stelter, who hosts Reliable Sources, has been an admirable exception. He's called Trump out, particularly on his ridiculous claims that the election is going to be stolen from him. Anyhow, when Brian asked me what I thought, I said that the problem was that the usual structure of campaign coverage was an apple versus an orange. You know, they're both fruits, they're both different, take your pick. And the problem was that this one was sort of like an apple versus rancid meat, and that the press didn't really have a way of pointing that out while still being fair. So at that point, everybody's jaw kind of dropped, and I had to defend calling Donald Trump rancid meat, which maybe was a little bit strong. Then Mark Leibovich of the New York Times, who's been a guest on this show, rescued me by pointing out that a lot of people would think that's very unfair to rancid meat. Thank you, Mark. Meanwhile, the smell of rot is only getting stronger. The stink is especially heavy today over at Fox News, which is going to pay Gretchen Carlson $20 million to settle her sexual harassment suit against Roger Ailes, who, by the way, got $40 million on his way out the door. If you've been reading Gabriel Sherman's superb reporting in New York Magazine, Ailes is a guy who could not be any more rancid, an accused sexual predator who has been protected for decades by Fox News. But now even Fox doesn't want anything more to do with him. And when you're fired by Fox News, there's only one job left for you, advising Donald Trump's presidential campaign. My guest today wants to know where the outrage is about Trump using Ailes as an advisor. Michelle Goldberg says his new debate coach is someone you can't even leave alone in a room with a female employee. I'll be back to talk with her right after we do the tweets. China wouldn't provide a red carpet stairway from Air Force One. And then Philippines president calls Obama the son of a whore. Terrible. President Obama and Putin failed to reach deal on Syria. So what else is new? Obama is not a natural dealmaker, only makes bad deals. Lying Hillary Clinton told the FBI that she did not know the C-marking on documents stood for classified. How can this be happening? The great state of Arizona, where 
I just had a massive rally. Amazing people. Has a very weak and ineffective Senator Jeff Flake said. Great visit to Detroit Church. Fantastic reception. And all CNN talks about is a small protest outside. Inside, large and wonderful crowd. As a tribute to the late, great Phyllis Shafley, I hope everyone can go out and get her latest book, The Conservative Case for Trump. My guest today is Michelle Goldberg. She's a columnist at Slate and the author of a new article titled, Why Isn't It a Bigger Deal That Trump is Being Advised by Sadistic Pervert Roger Ailes? Michelle, thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So sadistic pervert, that's uh, that's a little strong. You know, I think that might have been the editor's language. I think mine was more, I think I used the words depraved um, sadist. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> or, or sexual predator. I mean, actually, this terminology is important. But I mean, do you think, is it fair based on what we know to call Roger Ailes a sexual predator? I mean, I can't imagine why you would call him anything else that seems, if anything, maybe too mild. I mean, I certainly think that the phrase sexual harassment is too mild for what he's been accused of, right? Which is, you know, decades of sexual extortion, kind of psychological torture and manipulation, forcing his subordinates to be procurers of kind of comely young interns for him to lure into his web. You know, he's just, when you read some of this, it seems like some kind of like dark, you know, cosplay S&M fantasy, some of what he had going on there in terms of making videotapes and keeping them in safekeeping so that he could bend people to his will. I mean, it's sick, sick, sick stuff. And it's amazing that just what we know of him so far has not been enough to, I mean, it's been enough to drive him out of Fox News, but not enough to drive him out of a major presidential campaign. Right. And let's stipulate that these are accusations since he seems to be threatening to sue people. But right, but accusations for which Fox just paid Gretchen Carlson $20 million, right? There's clearly something going on. <laughs> and that have followed him his whole career since the 1960s that were first written about in Gabe Sherman's book a couple of years ago and where we've added more and more accusers, more and more detail. And as you say, where it's not, you know, as as evil as it would be, not just using power to extort sexual favors from women, but actually with this apparent element of sadism and humiliation and and pure cruelty. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be as much what it was about as about kind of sex per se was about the thrill of degrading people and making them know that he was that, that, that they were in his power. So point of comparison, 1996, Bill Clinton was being advised by Dick Morris. Remember him? (laughs) And there was a scandal that broke in the middle of the Democratic convention about toe sucking. This was maybe gross, but was consensual sex. I mean, or or consensual whatever it was, consensual. And Dick Morris had to resign almost immediately because that was so outrageous. Consensual behavior. This is totally non-consensual behavior, and nobody seems to be calling on Donald Trump to fire Roger Ailes. I mean, he only seemed to fully hire Roger Ailes after this had broken. Right. Well, that's why Roger Ailes is free to become a Donald Trump advisor in the first place. 
And so, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, on the one hand, I kind of I understand the bind that journalists are in, that this might be, you know, this is kind of a horrific association, but that might nonetheless be on the 12th or 13th on the list of wrong things that Donald Trump has done this week. And, you know, because there's such an ever as you know, there's such a multitude of Donald Trump's scandals and outrages and things, you know, single things that in any other candidacy would be a month long story. There's just there's too much to keep up with. But this in particular, I mean, it's, you know, he talks to the press every day. I don't understand why he's not being asked, why are you still working with this guy? And not just why are you still working with this guy? Why are you subjecting your female staff members to this guy? I mean, you know, it's not just the kind of an ugly association. It's actually kind of a gesture of hostility towards the women on his campaign. Yeah, I just want to quote what you wrote here, Michelle, because I thought it was so good. You said Trump should be asked about Ailes every day as long as they're working together, even informally. He should be asked not just why he's associating with Ailes, but whether Ailes is being left alone with any of the women on his campaign. Well, first of all, is he really not being asked about it? I mean, is there any opportunity to ask Trump questions on the part of the press. Well, you know, he's still doing interviews. I mean, I'm not sure when he when was the last time he did one of the networks, but he certainly does them from time to time. I mean, it's one of the only things that you could say, you know, kind of Trump has a moral advantage over Hillary Clinton in his um, press availabilities, you know, and he does local media. There's there. I think there's probably lots of opportunities for journalists to ask him about this. So there are two problems. I mean, one is if you ask Trump about something like this, you get nowhere because he's totally dismissive. He doesn't care. And the people who support him don't care, you know, as with his tax returns, as with his mob connection. I mean, as with, you say, a million other things. So you can be as indignant about it as you want. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in in a funny way, it doesn't seem to make any difference in the real world. Right. I mean, that's the whole nothing matters thing, which has been the kind of informal catchphrase of this campaign, right? Trump, you know, every new thing, every new... We forget that last week there was a big important story about his totally corrupt modeling agency. You know, there's a foundation scandal that you know, itself could be like a, a month-long story. I mean, foundation but- scandal, let's just go into that one for a minute. The Florida attorney general was being asked to look into accusations that Trump University was a corrupt scheme that was ripping people off and to join a suit from other state attorney generals that have a case pending against him. Mm-hmm. She decided not to ask Trump for a contribution to her campaign, and his foundation sent her $25,000, which turns out to be an illegal contribution. Right. And then my understanding is that he paid back the foundation out of his for, out of his personal account, which I think was also illegal, according to the IRS. So, I mean, it's amazing that after, you know, many days of kind of the appearance of impropriety stories about Hillary Clinton or stories about something the foundation did that, quote unquote, raises questions. Here we have something that looks a lot like a genuine quid pro quo. And, you know, I think that when you watch, when you look at how the two of them are covered, it seems like their misdeeds just sort of expand to fit the available space. But the space is kind of the same for, for, for both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So you've just got a lot more things competing for attention on his side. And on Hillary Clinton, you've got a couple of things that just keep recurring over and over again, because there's kind of nothing else to compete with them. One thing a thousand times versus a thousand things. One right. Time, right. <laughs> but I mean, it is, it's, you know, talk about diabolical brilliance. I mean, to have a new scandal every seven hours 
ensures that no scandal will go very deep because it's just going to be you turn the page and you're on to the next one. You know, but I but at the same time, we do know that, you know, Donald Trump does watch all the cable news news talk shows. He does pay attention to the way he's being talked about. And so I think that there are some stories that become kind of a thing and some that don't. And he seems to be pretty attuned to that. And there's a way in which, you know, even in the absence of getting straight answers from him, I think that people could kind of, you know, raise a stink about this, um, make it clear, even if it's not clear to him that it's not OK to have somebody like Roger Ailes working for you, even informally. How do you not have a double standard, but be fair as a reporter in this campaign? I mean, I was sort of thinking over the weekend, there are real investigative stories to do about the Clinton Foundation. There's some sleaziness around mm-hmm. the Clinton Foundation. Adam Davidson was describing on the political gab fest a couple of weeks ago how he participated in this uh, Clinton Global Summit event. And the whole thing just felt gross. There was right. all this sort of sleaziness about it. My feeling is, look. We don't have that luxury right now. In a normal campaign, you would focus on it. Here, it's just beside the point because you have another candidate who is so massively sleazy and corrupt and awful and dangerous in every way that who cares about the little Clinton Foundation scandal? But the press can't the, – the kind of neutral press kind of can't do that. It right, does. especially if you're on the Clinton beat, you're on the Clinton beat right. and you have to kind of go chase these leads wherever they take you. I mean to me, the – and that seems perfectly legitimate. I think where I think where I wish there was more self-reflection is not that they should go easy on Hillary Clinton because she's running against this, you know, diabolical lunatic, but just they, but that they should at least be conscious of not repeating the same sorts of mistakes that always seem to dog coverage of the Clintons, which is, you know, getting into this dynamic where Kind of any hint of impropriety is blown up out of all proportion. The Clintons react by shutting down and becoming really paranoid and secretive. And then that secretiveness is itself taken as further confirmation of wrongdoing. And so you have these huge, you know, kind of pseudo scandals that when you actually deconstruct them, there's nothing at the center of them, right? I mean, that was Whitewater. That's, you know, been so many of the Clinton scandals. And it seems like a lot of that is the foundation. You know, there's a lot of raising questions and there's a lot of, you know, appearance of impropriety. But there's ne- when when you dig down to it, there's never any any there there. And with so much at stake in this election, you know, go after Hillary Clinton for things that are fair, but it seems like they should be being extra careful about this, you know, sort of habitual pattern that straight journalists fall into in covering the Clintons. Well, with the Clinton Foundation, you know, I think if you really look into it, you'll find mismanagement, you'll find conflict of interest, you know, you'll you'll find a lot of stuff that that is uh, deplorable. But um, what what mismanagement? I mean, didn't they get an A from what is the big charity rating agency? I mean, they're they're rated higher than the Red Cross in terms of their actual functioning as a charity. Right. Well, I do think most of their money actually goes. And yes, on the other side, they've done a tremendous amount of good, and they they support good causes. But anyway, let's. Ju- I'm just sort mm-hmm. of positing that there's something there. How do you rate that against? Or and then you have on the Trump side, you know, trying to corrupt the Attorney General of Fl- of Florida, an actual kind of quid pro quo. Corruption scandal. If you are the AP or some, you know, press organization doing your best to be for, what do you, what should you do? Should you give every one of these things kind of a one to 10 rating and do all the Trump nines before you get to the Clinton threes and fours? I mean, what's the, you know, what's a fair way to cover them both? God, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you know? I mean, it's, it, 
it seems like on the one hand, you can't just sort of have the, the very structure of even like the physical product of a newspaper or even, you know, or the kind of physical, you know, length of a newscast mitigates against the proper proportions, which, you know what I mean? You can't have you can't have 20 articles about Trump's misdoing misdeeds for every one article about Clinton's or 20 articles about Trump's things that disqualify him for every one article raising questions about Clinton's record. But the disproportion between the two candidates would suggest that that's what a kind of properly weighted investigation of both of them would look like. The structure of coverage is that there are two choices to be made and they're not the same, but they're, you know, generally they're both valid choices. Right. And I mean, and this is just, you know, this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump is such a challenge is kind of like an epistemological challenge, right? I mean, by its very nature, the Republican nominee for president is we we don't have a way to treat that as not being a valid choice. Exactly. So, all right, Michelle, last thing I want to ask you about is Ailes and Trump and the free press and lawsuits, right? So it's interesting. I mean, the sort of you want to look at this Ailes-Trump connection, One of the things they have in common is they both think they should be absolutely free to say whatever disgusting, libelous things they they want to say about other people. But if anybody challenges them, they threaten to sue and they sue. And there was the news last night, I'm sure you saw, that the same lawyer who took on this Gawker case is now sending threatening letters, threatening lawsuit to New York Magazine – based on Gabe Sherman's reporting, which is basically how we know all this. Right. Yeah, he's broken the case wide open. Meanwhile, Trump is suggesting different standard for libel. The press is too free. I mean, there's another level of menace in their connection, isn't there, around shutting down journalism? Right. And a lot of this is, you know, th- there are a couple of times when they both sue, but I think there's a lot more threatening to sue than there is actually suing, right? I mean, Roger Ailes is not going to sue, I, I imagine, I'm not a lawyer, but is not going to sue Gabe Sherman and let New York's lawyers depose him, you know, or kind of open up his entire, you know, sexual history to discovery. At least it's hard to imagine that he would do something like that. You know, and similarly with Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump threatens to sue a lot. I don't know. Did did he actually, did Melania Trump actually sue um, or did they just threaten to she sue? Is, I understand she has filed suit against the Daily Mail. And they took the article down, I believe. And they've but, taken the article down. And Trump obviously sued uh, Tim O'Brien, who was on our show. Right. And he was lucky that his publisher defended the suit, but he used very similar techniques to this Charles Harder mm-hmm. in the Gawker case, going after the journalist personally, trying to make sure sure to file the suit in a way that insurance wouldn't cover it, the organization wouldn't defend him, and essentially break someone personally. Right. And it was fascinating that that's the only person, you know, he's never sued anybody over talking about his mafia connections. He's never sued anybody over talking about sexual harassment. The one person he sued, right, was the person who suggested that he wasn't worth as much money. Yeah. As he said, that was kind of like the insult, um, you know, that, that they cannot pass. <laughs> Sensitive much, right. There was this Trump roast, and he basically, the instructions went out to the comedians, you can make fun of anything. And they really did have vile jokes about his sex life and everything else, as long as you don't claim he's not worth as much money as he says he is. Right. Which, of course, everyone knows has historically he's something he's lied about. So, I mean, you know, they're certainly they're menacing figures. They're obviously trying. They're obviously both trying to intimidate people. Um, You know, at the same time, whether Trump knows it or not, obviously he can't unilaterally change the libel. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope we never find out. Michelle, thank you for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you so much. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. He's not a sexual predator. 
Steve Lechtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He's not a sexual predator either. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Not a sexual predator. John DiDomenico is our voice of Donald Trump. He is definitely not any kind of sexual predator. None of them are sexual predators. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I think it's very, very obvious that Hillary Clinton is a big time bigot. Many, many of the blacks that I met in Detroit at the church this week, and by the way, what a fantastic group of people, really, really wonderful people, very, very nice. And I did enjoy the music. I really did enjoy it. It didn't look like it in the video, but I enjoyed it.